Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 435, 2022-23 Premier League Preview. Big Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? Yeah, it's going well. Still coming down from the the emotional high of the Lionesses Euros victory a yeah. couple of days ago. England's first major tournament victory since 1966. That's what the headlines are saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, that kind of waiting the bat. to. <laughs> It doesn't trigger me. It doesn't. I think they're not yes. comparable, obviously, for, for a number. They're not comparable for a number of reasons. And look, I just don't think the comparison even needs to be made. Like, it's not their achievement shouldn't be framed through what the men's team has done. Like, there's just, you know, like, I, I think it's not productive for either of them. Because what does that mean? If the men go and win the, the World Cup this winter, then suddenly their Euro victory is less significant, you know? So yeah. I think it, it doesn't matter. But yeah, it does. There's been a number of people talking about that, and then people bring up the fact that the England, you know, like under 17s and under 19s teams have won World Cups and stuff. And you get into this really complicated debate about which teams are recounting and which aren't we. But it was a, you know, it's a, I think it's a, it's a potentially sort of watershed moment a little bit for, for uh, England, English women's football. So hopefully they build on the momentum. Hopefully, you know, it might have inspired a lot of young people to to play sports. Yeah, and the other thing I saw was it was the largest Euro attendance ever, men and women, which is which is pretty pretty nice to see. Yeah, yeah, they sold out Wembley, and you know, there's no way of again it, it, it proves I think some of the doubters wrong. Like I think that's what will be a really meaningful achievement for this whole Euros. Yes, the you know the tickets are less expensive. Yes, they were held. A lot of the matches were held in sort of smaller venues and and things like that. But fundamentally, the attendances were good across the board. Particularly, I mean, for all of the England matches, it shows that there is an interest from an English perspective in women's football. And you know, to sell out Wembley is no small feat for anything. I mean, even if you were giving away completely free tickets, getting nearly ninety thousand people to turn up for something on a Sunday is not always that easy to do so it's a it's a you know a good achievement yeah it was uh 87,192 at Wembley which is pretty amazing I think what was funny is I, d- I don't know what the exact number was but the full attendance for Wembley I think is like six seats more or something like that so there there was a on, in the commentary when I was watching the match there was a pretty good moment where the guy was like who are these six people that decided just not to show up like, <laughs> like if you're one of those six do you did you do it purposely so it could be one of the six that didn't show up well that also I mean look I never really believe attendance numbers in the first place because Again, out of a group of nearly 90,000 people, more than six must have missed it just because of traffic problems or last minute issues that pop up. You know, like there's always weird ways that they do the sort of the accounting on attendance figures. I never believe them. And particularly when they're season ticket holders, right? It's a little bit different for standalone events like this. But for whenever it's something where season ticket holders can, they've sold season tickets, they just count every season ticket holder for being in attendance, even if you know they're not there. Like I have attended sporting events where they've announced the attendance and you go, there, there is no way, you know, there's been like 5,000 people in attendance and they've announced that there's 15,000 people there. 
And yeah, sometimes it's hard to judge a number, but you can kind of look around and be like, there's no way there's that many people here. Yeah. And that's uh, what I thought was interesting is, is that's not the uh, world record attendance for a women's football match that was set last year uh, with Barcelona and Wolfsburg in the Champions League semifinal of 91,648 uh, up at Camp Nou. So, or, or sorry, sorry, Camp Spotify. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Previously known as Camp Nou. <laughs> I think it's called. I think it's the Spotify Camp New now. I, I was gonna call Camp it, Spotify. I was gonna call it Camp Spotify. I think that's way better. It's like a like a summer camp for like a music like a for band DJs. camp now. It's like for aspiring DJs. You go to Camp Spotify and learn how to turn the tables. <laughs> oh, have the well, turntables have turned. <laughs> yeah, Barcelona need to learn how to turn the tables, so that might be a useful experience for them. But yeah, I do think, and again, I've just said how it's impressive to get that many people to turn up for an event, no matter how in, in expensive or inexpensive it is. I do think a little bit more credit can be given to the, the Euros final, because I do think when Barcelona broke that record, the tickets were like five euros a pop. So it was a little bit more of a, a kind of tr- desperately trying, not desperately, but trying to break the record was the goal in a sense, whereas the Euros... It was being treated like a normal event, and um, that many people were interested. Did you watch the match on Sunday? Uh, yes. So, what'd you think? I why well, so I I watched part. I watched the first half live. I then had to rewatch part of it because I got caught up in something else. Um, I felt as if that's a really vague and strange statement you just made. <laughs> So I, I started watching the kickoff and the first half, and then I had some other things that had to get done Sunday, and so did not watch the conclusion of the match live. However, subsequently, you know, had was able to just restart the event and watch the entire match. Um, yeah, I thought it was a reasonably entertaining match. I think England deserved to win. I think they were the better team over the course of the 120 minutes. Uh, it wasn't like the most thrilling football match I've ever watched, but then finals rarely are because it is, you know, just both teams do feel a little bit, you know, teams are more worried about losing a final than they might be about trying to win it. But no, I thought England, I think over the course of the tournament, England were probably the best team. And then certainly on the night, they were, they were better than Germany. Yeah. Germany had a really strong spell of, I think it was, in that second half where it was like 20 minutes that they were just full press. <laughs> and I, I, I was kind of nervous for England there, but they kind of held it as best as they could. And, you know, unfortunate that it went to extra time that they couldn't hold on to the lead, but um, yeah, it was, it was a good match. I, I enjoyed it. I watched almost all of it. I just had obviously Sunday is my hockey day. So I had to miss part of it, but was watching it on the side a little bit. Yeah, it was it was it was a good match. And I guess yeah, and I, I, I guess overall, the prediction of I was close with the prediction of uh, losing an extra time on uh, <laughs> or losing on penalties, but it almost got there. No, and, and I do think overall that should be most people's takeaways. Look, I've not walked away. I'm not going to suddenly seek out women's football on a consistent basis. I think it's good for people to be honest about that fact, but. You know, and I watched the last World Cup, which was in France. I watched a you know a good number of those matches, but I think for a lot of people who maybe this was their first experience of watching sort of major tournaments, I think the majority should probably walk away thinking, yeah, that's entertaining. 
again, you don't have to turn into a diehard supporter as a result of it, but to just know when the Olympics roll around or when a World Cup or a Euros come around that, yes, you can, you can happily sit down and watch 90 minutes of women's football and your, you know, your television set isn't going to catch on fire for the fact that you're, you know, you've totally made it, made it stream that. I think that's a, a good thing for a, a kind of a large section of the population to learn. Yeah. So, I mean, continuing, I guess, with, with European football, we'll have the, the Premier League preview coming up, but I think first probably let's get out of the way the, the NFL talk uh, with Deshaun Watson, his suspension finally uh, being, I guess, revealed, <laughs> decided, however you want to say it. Um, and a lot of controversy as to whether it was the correct amount of games. Yeah, I think, you know, we've discussed it previously. It's not a great look for the NFL. Yeah. So six games for those who hadn't who haven't heard, but I think the majority of people by now have, have heard that he was being suspended six games for over, what, 20 counts of... Uh, Inappropriate behavior, whatever. Yeah, they, sexual misconduct. Uh, yeah. The, the thing I will harassment. say, right, the... the, the the person deciding this punishment only took into account five incidents, I believe, or, or five accusations. So she wasn't looking at the entire list or kind of every account that had been leveled at, at Deshaun Watson. So, but even if you're only taking into account the five, already it seems mind-blowing to me that they did that, that however that got framed in that manner seems strange to me. But it's just not a great look for the NFL. I mean, you have to put it, the justification they had was basically that, well, Ben Roethlisberger got six games, a six game suspension for what he did. I don't know how you can compare, you know, Ben Roethlisberger being sort of inappropriate with a woman in a bar, you know, like on making her feel uncomfortable. I'm not downplaying the significance of what he did. And we've spoken about that previously, but comparing to that, to someone with, multiple accounts with multiple women's over the course of months. It just doesn't make sense to me. They're not, you know, it's apples to oranges in that respect, but that's the justification for the six games. But when you then put it, you then start to look at, you know, the other suspensions that the NFL has handled, handed out in recent years, it's just laughable. So obviously the most recent, well, the most recent, I guess, is DeAndre Hopkins. So six game suspension for PED usage. Okay, it is what it is. You have Calvin Ridley, a full season, so 17-game suspension for a $1,500 a bet on a game on games he was not involved in. When, so, I mean, when he said he was stepping down from the season, so he was already not playing yeah. in that season. Yeah. You have uh, Josh Gordon, who, okay, received 25-plus game suspension. Now that was for multiple infringements at that point. But still, that was for fundamentally for for marijuana usage at that point, although he had used other drugs in the past. But still, then you have Darren Waller had a 16-game suspension for substance abuse. Uh, Martavis Bryant, indefinitely for marijuana usage. And then, I mean, the one, the only one that... Yeah, then you have Vontez Perfect, who was suspended 12 games for just repeatedly t- trying to murder people on a, on a field. But, but still... Out of all of the ones I've listed, Deshaun Watson seems to be the most severe under any kind of classification or consideration. So the fact that he is the most lenient or tied, you know, level with the most lenient is just kind of mind blowing. 
Yeah. So, um, like you were saying, this was, uh, decided by disciplinary officer, Sue Robinson, uh, who had a 15 page paper or conclusion that stated, although Watson violated the personal conduct policy, there was not enough evidence to justify an indefinite suspension. Uh, and then she wrote that the NFL carried its burden to prove by a preponderance of the evidence that Mr. Watson engaged in sexual assault against the four therapists identified in the report. Mr. Watson violated the policy in this regard. So like you were saying, they weren't taking into account all 20 plus acquisitions, but in this case, only the the four therapists that were identified in the report. And according to them, uh, there wasn't enough evidence to prove that he had done what he what they say he had done. I liked the usage of acquisitions. It was like a, it was a combination of accusations and <laughs> acquiring something. But yeah, no, I, I, I think it's 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 just overall, it's such a bad look for the NFL. And then and and look, we we've also spoken about it previously, and this is not to say I'm firmly in the camp that Deshaun Watson should have received a, a much heavier punishment. At the same time, people being so critical of Browns and Browns fans of the Browns and the Browns fans, like there are a number of people playing in the NFL who are well aware have done things that I would say are comparable, if not worse, to what Deshaun Watson has done in terms of their treatment of women. So, you know, there's there's a little bit of inconsistency anyway within the league. But yeah, it's not a great look for the NFL. It's made even worse by the fact that you then have Deshaun Watson at training camp today being sort of, you know, swamped by Browns fans desperately looking for his autograph. That was to be expected, really. And and that's the, the, the sad part about this, right, is if, if he turns out to be really good, then this will all be forgotten in a short period of time. You know, if three seasons from now he's won a Super Bowl with the Browns, pretty much no one will be bringing this up. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's not great. It also, you know, it then makes the way that he worked out his contract. So, obviously, he signed this, you know, huge $230 million contract, fully guaranteed. They also did this thing where they front-loaded his contract. So, his salary for this season was only $1 million because they were anticipating the fact that he would receive some sort of suspension or punishment, which means that out of his $230 million contract, based on the way that it's been distributed, he will only lose $333,000 as a result of this six-game suspension, which means that over the course of his entire contract, this suspension uh, is equivalent to 0.14% of his total contract. So wow, from, a fi- from a financial standpoint, it is meaningless. And also worth saying, he didn't receive any fines in addition to this, which was also yeah. another possibility. So it's just a suspension, no fines, no nothing. Yeah. And, you know, I also think a bad look, uh, at least for me watching ESPN, was they kind of announced, you know, what the suspension was. And then pretty much within 30 seconds, the next image that popped up on the screen was the first six games of the Browns. You you know, like it was almost to the point where what he did is just now it's, oh, he did what he did. It's done. Let's now look, see how it's going to affect the NFL. You know, and, and that the overlooking of that, I think, is not a good look for for many sports media outlets that, you know, even the article I had pulled up the other day, the picture of the first six games was the second paragraph after what, what he had gotten suspended. And, you know, and that, that, and to me, kind of what you're saying in a nutshell is what the NFL is, is they give these half-assed suspensions 
and the only main thing they care about is getting the players back on the field, getting their stars back out there. Yeah, and and we're all responsible for that in one way or another, right? Because what everyone shows the NFL is that we will relentlessly consume their product, regardless of who it is being involved. So you can be critical of the league itself, but fundamentally there's responsibility to every individual who decides to turn on the NFL on a Sunday or buy a ticket to a game or buy a you know some kind of merchandise. So you know we're all voting with our eyes or our dollars in one way or another. So, you know, we're not for all the bad coverage that they're getting. If you're sitting in some NFL boardroom, you're probably saying, yeah, look, this is going to blow over in a couple of weeks. And then everyone will go back to thinking Deshaun Watson's a really good football player. And isn't this exciting that we have the Cleveland Browns maybe as a Super Bowl contender? So, you know, it's it's yes, they take a lot of responsibility, but we, we all kind of do. And I, and that's what bothers me a little bit about some of the, ma- the media coverage is that you have all these people kind of getting on their high horses about how unacceptable this is, but tomorrow they're going to write a, piece, a different, a completely different piece about a different NFL player and promote the league in that way or promote a player in that way. And similarly, some of those players and some of those teams will have incidents in their past that are also not great. So, you know, Kareem Hunt is playing on the, on the Browns and that's fine. We don't pay attention to Kareem Hunt anymore. You know, like that, what he yeah. did doesn't matter. Yeah. And, and that was 2019. Yeah. So you're, that's three years removed. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's not trying to say what's worse, what's better, but every team will be littered with players who have, you know, abused people or attacked people or broken the law in one way or another. And for whatever reason, we get really, really worked up over certain examples of that. And then the rest of them just kind of sail by. Yeah. And, and then I think the icing on the cake for me, at least with, in terms of this was obviously a problem and it's not being handled as strongly as it should was the ruling that was also attached to this suspension was that Watson is to limit his massage therapy to club directed sessions and club approved massage therapists for the duration of his career. And I impose this mandate as a condition to his reinstatement. So they don't have enough evidence to show he did something wrong, but he's never, ever allowed again in his NFL career to get a massage from anyone that's not a club approved person with yeah. someone there watching. Like, come on, come on. Which is, which is, yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's, it's, it's such an indi- a damning indictment of, of what the real opinion is of the situation. And, I, and also, I mean, it means if he's on holiday and just staying at a, like a hotel spa, he could, his contract could be voided or he could be suspended if he just happened to wander into the spa area and get like a, you know, like a back massage during his vacation, which, you know, it's, it's, it's such a bizarre situation and just no one involved looks good out of it. I think that's the thing is there's everyone's a loser out of this. On a lighter note, the other football topic I have, Eddie, is I don't know if you saw, but someone who's, who's taking a different approach to the off season is Gardner Minshew who there was a very big article on ESPN about how Gardner Minshew lived this entire offseason in a homemade camper van outside of the gym he works out in and literally lived outside of the gym this summer training for the upcoming season, which he thinks is going to be the best of his career. Side note, he's the backup, so I don't know how he's going to judge how that's going to be the best of his career. Unless he has plans to injure Jalen Hurts during training camp. But uh, quite a strange story. He took a prison 
inmate transportation van, gutted it, and kind of retrofitted it as a 1960s, almost a shagging wagon, you could you could call it if you want. It had bean bags and, and orange orange velvet sofas and all these rock and roll posters everywhere. It's it's quite a sight. Um, but it didn't have a toilet. It didn't have a shower. So he would have to go to the bathroom in the gym. He showered outside in spandex um, and kind of just parked it behind the gym. And, and that was his life this summer. So, yeah, I mean, that just seems like such an attention seeking move like that's just to let me really show people how dedicated I am in a way that is definitely going to grab headlines like that. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense. Like, it's not as if living in a normal like apartment or a house would have meant what it would have denied him an extra 20 minutes at the gym, maybe like it's not. And and everything not having the, the you know, the the sort of thing, the stuff you would want around your house probably means he was losing time doing all of the minor day to day tasks anyway. So, yeah, it just doesn't. Again, he's he's someone who seems to like coming across as weird. He's not alone in that respect from NFL quarterbacks, but he you know he's definitely embraced it, and it seems like he often seeks out opportunities to make himself seem even weirder. Yeah, I, I mean, on one end of the spectrum, right? You have to appreciate the athlete who, like I said, is is literally living outside the gym. And that's all he's doing. So he's doing like three sessions a day. That's awesome. I, as if you were a fan of of the Eagles and he was your starting quarterback, you'd have to like that. What you don't like is that as you start reading the story, there's his breakfast. He would go inside the gym and microwave his breakfast. So right off the bat, the nutritional ask quality of, of this stay at the gym lifestyle is severely hampered. He's then sleeping on a, a single mattress that's like propped up against the wall of this homemade camper van. So his sleep is definitely being screwed up. Then there's the uh, the paragraph where they say that the gym is right next to a local microbrewery and that they would often just hang out outside the microbrewery playing the guitar and, and, and drinking and hanging out. So in one aspect, it sounds like a good story. But then when I think you look into it deeper, was it really helping him that much? Versus, like you said, maybe go a little bit of the extra mile and, you know, rent a hotel that has a kitchen in it that you could at least have homemade cooked meals or an actual bed or something like that. So I agree. I think it's more of a attention grab. And at this point, I don't know if he's playing the character of Gardner Minshew or if this is actually who he is. You know, if he's Uncle Rico, I, I don't know. But. We'll see. We'll see what happens if he even gets on the field, if it if you see an improvement. If if this had been some undrafted free agent who was just trying to really, you know, on a budget, maximize their ability to be in a gym and improve themselves and maybe also get a little bit of press surrounding how dedicated they were, I would think of it really differently. But given the fact that Gardner Minshew's salary over the last few seasons since he's come into the NFL has averaged out to nearly $700,000 a year, and he's set to earn $2.5 million this year with the Eagles, he could have been in an Airbnb relatively close to his gym, had an Uber to and from the gym whenever he wanted to, had the nutritionist, had everything. And yes, it wouldn't have been headline grabbing, but it would have been much more efficient. 
But yeah, if you'd told me that this is a guy straight out of college who'd never really earned a lot of money, and this was the only way that they could realistically afford to have a summer dedicated to being in the gym, fine. But he's not in that in that situation. So again, it just feels like, hey, this is weird. I'm quirky. And also, you know what? Maybe if I do it this way, someone's definitely going to write about it. And people like the fact that I've got an interesting personality. And maybe this will help when the Eagles aren't off to the greatest start at the beginning of the season. This like cult of personality that I'm sort of creating around myself at all times. This might help the calls for Gardner Minshew to come and play because, hey, look, he's so dedicated. Look what he did over the summer. So I'm not a huge fan of it. It doesn't seem like it would be the best way to prepare for an NFL season, but we probably will never know because he might not play a single snap. Yeah, I mean, and that would be the the weirdest part about this story is he's just training as hard as he can in the offseason to be a backup that doesn't see the field. Which is also great. Good for him. I hope every backup does that. <laughs> but you know that that's. Uh, but it doesn't need to be you know newsworthy in the in the process. And I, I guess the final little bit of uh, NFL news before we switch to the Premier League preview, we've obviously last few episodes discussed the uh, Kyler Murray contract situation. Pretty much just after we recorded the last episode, uh, Kyler Murray had a press conference where I actually think he addressed the situation pretty well where he basically said, look, it's it's pretty flattering to say that I've made it to this stage and been as successful as I have been, relatively speaking, without working hard, and that it's kind of disrespectful to other people in the league to think that I've managed to do all of this without wanting to work hard or study game tape and everything like that. So I thought that was a pretty good way. It's rare to see athletes come up with a good answer to a difficult question, but that, he seemed to kind of nail it. But then things got out of control. Subsequently, the Cardinals withdrew that contract clause from his contract and then that then spun that move again they should have just let it blow over by then withdrawing it it kind of gave it a second wind of more attention why is this why have they put it in then taken it away like what is going on here it just seemed after him dealing with it well then tremendously mishandled yeah and then now as of today they've reinstated it back (laughs) I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> they said they're sorry that removing it created a controversy, so they're just going to put it back and rewind. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, I just don't – again, and we kind of spoke about it a little bit. If the NFL teaches you one thing, is it's just if you just keep your head low for 48 hours, people will move on to the next news story. So I don't understand why the Cardinals weren't smart enough to do that. Like they could have thought of the way Carla Murray addressed it in, the news, in his press conference perfect we've got an answer that makes sense and then let's just move on and let the season take over but instead now they've ensured that it will probably be a storyline that sticks with them if they get off to a bad start it's going to be mentioned then for sure if they get off to a bad start and then they reinstate that into the contract (laughs) yeah i see i thought eddie that you were going to go for another player who uh, at one point this offseason wanted a trade and then scrubbed his social media. <laughs> uh, and oh, Debo. Yeah. Yeah. Debo Samuel has, has agreed to a contract with the Niners. Uh, I was wondering how, how Niners, Niners Nation felt this about year. that. Oh, Niners Nation feels great. Niners Nation feels great. I, I uh, yeah, I think I, I look, it, 
you got positive noises coming out about Trey Lance on a daily basis. Really? Do you think deeper? Because I've heard negative noises coming out. <laughs> From who? There was so there was a article that came out last week. They had two separate uh, anonymous NFL um, NFL coaches who said if we're playing the Niners with Trey Lance, we are not very scared. <laughs> Basically, what the hell does what the hell does that mean? Like, what the hell does that mean? I don't know. Like, and I, like, look, I'm not expecting. That's not an. That's not a source. That's a. That's someone on the other team. Like, what do you think? They're oh, we're terrified. I don't know if you saw the the comment that got made, whichever defensive coordinator last week about Patrick Mahomes. Can't remember who it was, but one defensive coordinator coordinator came out and basically said, like, yeah, Mahomes. Like, as as soon as you take away his first read, like he's pretty easy to handle. Like, you're going to get coaches and coordinators <laughs> being dismissive of other players. And I'm not trying to draw parallels between Mahomes and Trey Lance yet. But, oh, God. I mean, <laughs> look, look, the the the, the noise is coming out from the players themselves, which you – look, they're not going to come out and say bad things because he is their quarterback for this season. I do think they're being pretty vocal and forthcoming with that positive stuff. I do think Debo Samuel choosing to sign a new contract – Knowing that Trey Lance, I still think if he if he thought Trey Lance was absolute garbage, I don't think he signs that contract. And then also, I mean, there was that video I don't, yesterday that went viral of Trey Lance just back foot flicking the ball, of, you know, just forty yards, just smooth as anything. I mean, he looks yeah, he looks pretty good. <laughs> Except he was trying to throw it to the right sideline, and it went all the way to the left sideline. <laughs> Got a great arm no, accuracy, look- just to tap it off still. <laughs> But no, I think yeah, it's 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 good news for the for the 49ers. And no, I'm not going to say they're going to win the Super Bowl. I do think they make the playoffs. You did just say they're going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> don't don't uh, yeah, that, was that out so you won't say. <laughs> that was that was a joke. <laughs> playoffs for sure. Playoffs for sure. I'll say it now and obviously our NFL predictions will come in a few weeks, but um um you know, pin my colors to that flag right now. They are making the playoffs. So just the deal is seventy-three million for three years and fifty-eight million guaranteed. So, pretty pretty decent yeah, contract. But about league average for you know, so I think, which again it leads into the other bit of the thing, the story, which was it probably wasn't a money issue. It was about how he was being used and the fact that he doesn't want to be running the ball seven times a game. Like it's it seems like the falling out was much more based on usage than money. Because in the end, he signed a deal that is a good deal, but it's not a record-breaking deal. So, you know, it's a deal that would have undoubtedly been on the table whenever the negotiations started. So on that note, does the, the Premier League prediction kick in now? Yeah, let's go for it. Are we going to start at the top or are we going to start at the bottom? I think we should probably start at the top. I'll lead off and you can tell me if you disagree with me on, on each place where I pick a, pick a team and we can kind of highlight a couple of reasons why we believe or, or don't believe in that particular placement. Now, are you, so are you going to go for all 20? Are you just going to go one to 20 or are you just going to do like the top six? Okay. We'll go top four. We'll go through like category top four, then European places and mid table. Okay. Then we'll kind of categorize them. We'll put them into sections. So we'll, we'll put the first group as, Let's go title Top challengers. Four. Okay, we'll tight, yes. Title challengers. Perfect. So this, I, is, I, I, this I, is quite a small list. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, there's two title challengers. 
And I, so City and Liverpool, and I have City winning yeah. the league, and I think it will be relatively comfortable. I mean, look, the, both of them pick up a lot of points, so I don't think they're going to win that by 15 points, but I don't think it will come down to the last game of the season. Obviously, they've lost some experience and depth in Zinchenko, Jesus, Sterling, Fernandinho, you know, all of whom played valuable roles at different moments in time. But then when you look at, you know, the addition of Haaland, uh, you know, and some of the other players that they brought in, it feels like they've kind of replaced everyone who went out and then in Holland maybe addressed the big concern for them, which was a sort of natural goal scorer up front. So I have City winning and then Liverpool second. Yes, you know, lost, you know, Sadio Mane Come being on, gone is, is a big concern, but Darwin Nunez probably going to be an upgrade on uh, on Firmino and overall look like their, you know, their summer signings are, are decent, but... I think Liverpool have pretty much stayed the same, and I think City might have taken a slight step forward. Yeah, I mean, my only concern with City here is there there has there will be a decent amount of turnover, you know, on that starting eleven. Uh, you know, you're losing a few starters there, and yes, I mean, you've have what one of the bigger signings in the Premier League in the last at least five years, right? But I think it's going to be a great signing. I, the only concern I have is will the amount of turnover give them a slower start, maybe take them a little longer to find their feet and to find the rhythm. And then once they get I mean, they're a team that once they get into that rhythm, they're unstoppable, but is it going to take them a little bit to get to it? And my only concern there is, I mean, you're looking at a few seasons now where every point matters. And if they, you know, have a, a, a one, one draw to, I don't know, like Leicester to, 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 you know, in the first few weeks, is that really going to cost them down the road? You know, because I do think, I think it's going to be close again. I don't think it's going to be a blowaway. I think it's going to be a pretty close race again, just because, you know, Liverpool, yeah, they lost Sadio Mane, but all reports are Nunez is going to be a great addition. Um, and, you know, he could be a huge, a huge player for them. So I just worry about the turnover. So I think, the first few weeks are going to be a good indication. If they can just start rolling, then I think, yeah, they're, they're going to take it away, but we'll have to see. And there, I did love the, the four. Oh, no, sorry. What, what did they lose to Liverpool? Two, one, three, three, one. Sorry. Three, one. Yeah. The um, backlash on Howland's first, first real uh, test. He, he didn't look good. It's such an overreaction, right? I mean, it's it's so funny how how crazy it got. (laughs) Of course, of course, but there's you know, like you come with huge expectations. There's a lot of pressure that you're going to hit the ground running. So, yes, it's it's definitely an overreaction. And and look for him, it can't be ideal because this is a level of pressure he won't have felt at any point before in his career. So you're also having to judge how well can he deal with. This is the possibility of the first real adversity he may have ever faced. You know, everywhere else he's gone, he has been an instant success, and he's been dealing with clubs that, relatively speaking, are by no means as high profile or as high pressure as he's about to face in the Premier League and with City. So as much as he's been a star elsewhere, it's not at the same magnitude. But I am, you know, I think he'll be successful. I think the concern with Holland is, can he stay fit for enough time? Will he miss crucial matches? Because... Every season he picks up, you know, small knocks and, and injuries and they, you just might not have him when you really, really need him. I think that's the biggest concern, but, you know, I'm sure he'll score goals. So from yeah. And the, I was just going to say, 
Um, so I'm just doing sky bet here, but the odds to win uh, are four to seven for City and nine to four for Liverpool to to win the, the Premier League. Yeah, which feel about right. So there we move on to the the race for the the two remaining Champions League places, which I guess is a little bit more interesting. So if we throw into that category in no particular order, Spurs, Chelsea, United, Arsenal, I think are probably the four who most people would think have a realistic chance of being in the top four. I'm going to spring potentially a little bit of a surprise here because I have finishing third in the table, Tottenham Hotspur. Oh, so do I. Maybe not quite the surprise. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah. I just have a pretty good stat before we kind of get into it. Uh, so since City won the title in 15-16, that's the last time a team outside the big six has reached a Champions League place. So you're now looking at over seven years where only one of the teams outside the big six has finished in the top four. So chances are it's going to be one of the ones that you just read off. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think it's a bold prediction to to narrow down the, the, the top four possibilities. I think there'll be people out there who have wild predictions when it comes to the likes of Newcastle. But realistically, it's, it's hard to see teams breaking into that. Um, you know, in the case of Spurs... It's a little bit of a bold prediction, but assuming, you know, Kane and Son stay fit, they probably have the best duo up front out of any team in the league. And then I actually think a lot of the signings that they've made this summer have been, you know, pretty, pretty uh, impressive. You know, I, I like the fact that they've, Richarlison gives them a little bit of an alternative or a backup in case uh, Kane, you know, is injured or needs to be rested. Uh, I think they've added, in Perisic and Longley and Spence, defensively they look um, better. And I also think the bit the big boost for them is just once Conte took charge, they seem to have a better understanding of exactly what it is they wanted to do, the style in which they wanted to play. And they weren't always blowing teams away, but they were consistently better under Conte. And you know he's a man and he's a sort of you know got a very proven track record. And I think that. You know, he'll just be able to turn them into... I think what Spurs will be able to do very consistently now, which is a very Conte-ish style thing to do, is just beat the bad teams. And so they will just rack up points. Whether or not they'll be good enough to, you know, beat City or beat Liverpool, that will be a bigger test. But I think you will just see them consistently against the lower half, mid-table, three points, three points, three points. And because there's a lot of inconsistency in their rivals for the champion top four spaces, I think that could be the reason why they just end up having the better season out of any of the kind of other contenders. Yeah, I, I can, I, you said it perfectly, Eddie. I think now they have one of the you know top attacking groups in the league, probably besides City and Liverpool at this point. And I agree exactly with what you're saying. Is I think now they have, you know, they've shored up the back a little bit, and I think they can just outscore most of the other teams in the Premier League and get those three points until you get to those, you know, top six teams. But otherwise, I think they're going to get as many points as they can out of those bottom teams now and not have those matches where they're only putting up a goal. And I think they're going to score a ton. So it's they're going to be a fun team to watch. I, I think that's going to be a great aspect of that. I think the Spurs are always going to be entertaining now. So Spurs. I also had them. Let's not, let's not trigger our, our English listeners. 
sorry, I don't know. I didn't realize I said that. But yes, I think they're going to be a, a fun team to watch. And I also have them popped in at third. And then I'll tell you what my fourth is. And let's see if you agree. I'm going to go with Sam's Arsenal. No. Four spot. No. No. No, you're reading way too much into their preseason success, I think. I do think Arsenal will be. Sam messaged me. He's super optimistic. He gave me a little four-page thesis as to why they're going to be in the top four this year. A lot of good signings. I, I don't he is very either. optimistic. But but no, I think, uh, yeah, I have Chelsea finishing fourth. So I think, you know, Chelsea, you know, they they were slightly inconsistent last season, but they did show that they, you know, were good enough and could compete with anyone on their day. Obviously lost some quality in, I think Rudiger is probably the biggest loss for them in terms of when you look at Christensen and Lukaku. I mean, Lukaku, probably not a loss, given the fact that he sort of really left about six months ago. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And then in in Sterling, I think, you know, this could be an interesting move for Sterling in that he's been this player who wasn't, you know, aside from early on, last couple of seasons suffered from being, you know, city squad rotation, not really being able to show what he can do over the course of a full season. I think he'll be a good addition. And then in Koulibaly, a good defensive addition as well, and I think should more than replace Rudiger. So I think I expect out of them pretty much the same as what we got last season. So I think they'll finish fourth. So you think the addition of Sterling to Chelsea is going to be more beneficial than Gabriel Jesus to Arsenal? I think Jesus is a good addition. I think he'll have, I think he'll score a decent number of goals. I think he'll be a successful signing, but I do think, look, Chelsea just had more in place in terms of being a top four team. Like, you know, Arsenal could improve more this season than Chelsea improved based on last season, but they need to in order to sneak into the top four. So I think I just, I don't, uh, you know, I don't think, I'm not buying the the preseason hype with Arsenal. Again, I think they've made, I think Jesus was a good signing. Zinchenko. Um, Zinchenko is a good signing, although he may be slightly flattered by the fact that he got to play this, you know, as a role player in a sense with City. It's not quite this. It'll be interesting to see how big of a step up he can make. You know, losing Lacazette, I think, is is significant. He he wasn't great, but he he was decent during his time there. Um, and and yeah, I think you know a lot of the other players they've brought in in you know Fabio Vieira who is highly regarded and, and, and was, you know, a sort of hype, like kind of well-respected player at Porto. It's still a big step up. You know, I think, I think they're good, but I, I just can't see them getting into the top four. Yeah. I think for, for me, the worry with Chelsea is in the back, you know, you, you mentioned Rudiger and Christensen are both gone um, and they have tried to fill those holes, but <sighs> a little early to tell if, if they're going to be good fits. So I think that's that's a worry for me, whereas I think I think Jesus is a great addition for Arsenal. I think he's going to I think he's going to have a lot of goals for them. Um, I think he's kind of got something to prove a little bit, too. Uh, you, you know, kind of just being dismissed off a of city, you know, and then getting Haaland. And, and so I think I think he's going to want to come out really strong here. And I think that's going to be a great addition for them. So I, I have Arsenal. I, I think it's going to be close. I think they're both going to be right there. But I, I'm going to go with Sam, and I'm going to have Arsenal finish fourth. Okay. 
Well, then I guess we can skip to six. Well, real quick, I'll just I'll I'll also just give the odds. Finish top four while we're here. Uh, so City one to fifty, not not much value there. Uh, Liverpool one to sixteen, uh, Spurs eight to fifteen, Chelsea four to six, United seven to four, Arsenal seven to four, and then dropping way off of that would be Newcastle at seven to one. So you've mentioned there the team I think will finish sixth, which is Manchester United. Um, you know, I don't think we'll have a disastrous season. You know, I think, but a new manager for what feels like you say that with about Manchester United pretty much every time and Ten Hag, it will, I think he'll be a good appointment, but it takes time for him to build his squad, for teams to adapt to his, you know, tactics and approach. Obviously he's introduced these supposedly new, very, very strict rules. I don't know if you saw these, the rules that were leaked in terms of being even a second late for a, a meeting or a training session means that you will be dropped from upcoming, which would mean if I were a Manchester United player, I'd, I'd never play. Um, so he'd have, there would be that. I would just, <laughs> I would just know in preseason, I'm done. You wouldn't even make the meeting to be told that you can't be late. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> what happens in that apl- situation? Yeah, does the rule apply to me? I wasn't even there. But, you know, and, and a number of other things, the fact that complaints have to go through the players, not through agents. Like if you have an issue, you need to speak directly to him. He doesn't want to hear from your representation, which seems like a logical thing and stuff that I thought an interesting one was there's no alcohol, supposedly no alcohol allowed on during a match day week. So that seems fairly wow. intense to me. Yeah. Not that I do. Not that I expect to be players to be going out and drinking 10 pints, but if they're having Tell a that to LeBron time, James, Mr. Glass yeah. of Wine at Night. <laughs> he couldn't do it but no but I, yeah i think they'll be good and when you look at their transfer business um there might be an element of addition through subtraction with manchester united in terms of getting rid of pogba and just maybe that he really has been in you know a negative influence on their squad and also lingard uh you then have you know they've brought in christian erickson it seems i'm not sure how much he'll play in terms of getting both erickson and fernandez into the same team at the same time but it certainly adds experience and depth for them. And then they've just signed Lissandro Martinez from Ajax, highly regarded central you know, defender, but I do question he's very short for a Premier League defender. So, <laughs> I mean, no, it's a serious consideration to have. Like you're, you know, you are talking about an undersized central defender and there could be some attacking players in the Premier League, you know, thinking that this could be one of their easier assignments if they've got him trying to win, compete at a corner or for a cross. So, you know, I think they'll be good, but I think this is, you know, part of the rebuilding. I do also think there'll be players who, you know, we might see Sancho get back to something resembling his Dortmund form, um, you know, but still, there were some ways off the top four last season, and it just feels like this will be a positive step, but not that big of a step. Yeah, and then, and then what's, what's happening with Ronaldo? Who knows? Who knows? I mean... All indications are that he may well have played his last match for Manchester United. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I don't know where he's going. Like, he, he clearly wants to play Champions League football, and I don't know which Champions League club would sign him. You know, like, I, I can't see a place where he'd be happy to go wanting him to be there. And that's not a knock on him, but it's just not an easy in terms of his, the cost of his wages and everything, and obviously his age. I don't see that many clubs... In the you know PSG would have been a candidate, but like they're not going to have you know already they've got financial question marks, so they can't throw Ronaldo into that mix. 
obviously Barcelona. Who knows? Maybe Barcelona. They're not Champions League. Well, yeah, they are champions. But maybe Barcelona will just decide, screw it, we'll just sign Ronaldo as well. You know, I just don't see any viable they'll just, they'll just, for him. They'll throw up a quick GoFundMe, get a few million, and then yeah. say that they're 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 in the green again. But no, I I don't. It's difficult to see exactly where else he could go. So in some ways, I'd expect him to still be there, just because, and then just to be a very unhappy squad player. Yeah, you know, like that's going to be don't. a crazy situation. So you, may, you you mentioned, go ahead. I mean, the, and then the other thing to keep in mind, obviously, right, is you've got the World Cup coming up, which, you know, we've kind of not mentioned this will have an impact on all of these squads. Uh, but, you know, it also means that for a player like Ronaldo, you're, he's hardly going to make a significant, like, if he thinks there's something, he, he'll want to make sure he's both playing and fit and prepared for what you would have to think will be his last major tournament playing for Portugal. So, you know, that's another element to consider in all of this is that maybe if they can satisfy him that he can have some involvement in the squad until the winter, maybe that makes sense for all parties. Yeah. And you talked a little bit about, you know, Sancho, whether he can get back to form. What about, what do you think about Rashford? Do you think this is a big season for him? I think it's a career defining season almost, which is, you know, seems like a big statement for someone as young as he is, but with the need for him, I mean, I'm not, I don't think he's guaranteed to be in the England World Cup squad at the moment. Southgate's a pretty loyal manager when it comes to who he picks in his England team. So I think because Rashford has been part of it in the past, there's a very good chance he just is taken anyway. And on top of it, even though he's young, he has, you know, sort of major tournament experience that could be useful. But he, you know, he has question marks there about his England involvement, and then also in terms of being able to establish himself in the Manchester United team and know that he's someone going forward they can maybe not build their team around, but certainly know will always be part of it. And he has to figure out exactly what position he, you know, in the role that he's going to be played in, and then also if he's a squad player or a player who's starting consistently. So I think this could be. This is either the season where Marcus Rashford proves a lot of doubters wrong, or I think it could be Marcus Rashford's last season with Manchester United. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm also hoping Bruno Fernandes can have a, a, a stellar season because because oh, of your I'm, fantasy team. I'll have to rely on him on my fantasy team, <laughs> unfortunately. Right. We now move into then what I think is probably the most complicated section of the table. So... I think if we group, because we have to, you know, we can't pay the same level of attention to each club, but I think we then move. So actually, does this mean you had Arsenal at five then? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So my, yeah. So right now our only difference is we're, we're switching Arsenal and Chelsea. Yeah. So far. So I guess if we give a more, if you want to say who you have, if we do seven, eight, nine, ten, let's round off the top 10, the top half of the table. If you go in order quickly, and then we can just say if, if anything sticks out about any of the teams who you mention. So I have uh, West Ham, Newcastle, Leicester, and uh, 10 is tough. I'm going to probably say Aston Villa. Okay. So I have West Ham. Okay. Aston Villa. Okay. Crystal Palace. Newcastle. Okay. So, you know, I do think West Ham will be a little bit the best of the rest 
you know, they do have some very good quality players in their team and they did prove themselves last year that they could be consistent and, you know, even at times mix it with the very best. But, you know, it's just such a big ask. You know, it's the, it's the, we've spoken about the lack of parity, obviously, within the Premier League and European football in general in the past. But if you don't get, you know, when you have those opportunities to maybe get into the top four and have that huge cash injection and the ability to sign just that sort of next step up in terms of quality of players, if you don't get it at that, you know, you might only have one, one opportunity, one season where you can do it. So I think you'll just see them just drop away a little bit uh, compared with where they were. And, and I think they'll be the best of the rest. And then I guess the only other, the con the sort of, I think Villa, you know, have made some decent signings and they're building a good squad. I think Crystal Palace have, uh, you know, a decent amount of stability and quality within their side. And Newcastle, I'm just not quite buying the hype yet. I think it's easier, you know, what Eddie Howe was able to do in terms of taking charge of Newcastle in the second half of the season there. I think in terms of getting players to focus and be everyone to be pulling in the right direction is easier when you have the very clear threat of relegation. But over the course of a full season now, where there will be people worrying about how much they're playing and what the future of the squad looks like and pressure to sign more players when maybe they aren't quite up to the quality that fans are expecting based on the level of financial support that Newcastle now have. I think it will be a little bit trickier than most people expect for them to start really making those leap forwards. So I think they'll end up, yeah. you know, firmly in the mid table. Yeah. And I mean, I had, I had Lester, I think I said ninth, but you did you don't have them in the top 10 and i could easily see them not making the top 10 this is a team i don't think they've really done any business in the summer and it's so you basically have the same squad that's just continuing to get older um and one in particular with jamie vardy is just i mean he's getting very old at this point so you know not doing much to to kind of strengthen that team and kind of just relying on the same squad from, that just keeps falling every year now um so there's every chance that they could be out of the top 10 this year. I have Leicester finishing 11th, so we can kind of transition into yeah. the next group that way. And yeah, for that very reason, you know, the Premier League is consistently, it's so cliched, but if you're not moving forward, you are moving backwards. And the fact that they haven't, and look, it's the 2nd of August as we're recording this. And by the end, you know, they have 29 more days to sign players. And in the next, you know, nearly in four weeks, time they could have brought in three or four players and everything looks a little bit different but to be right on the at the start of the season and not have added to your squad uh is not great um so that's why you know i would have there would be big question marks for me there so i have leicester 11th i have uh wolves finishing 12th i then have Brentford finishing 13th, which is, I'm going to just say from... In, wow, that's that's our first big difference, I think. 13th for me, I think this is a season where sometimes you go in and know there are three or four teams maybe who are relegation candidates. I'm going to say now, I think from everyone from 13th onwards, for me, could go down. Like this is a big list of teams where if they're either hit by a little bit bad of you know a batch a patch of bad form or a bad injury or things just don't work out for them for in one way or another, I think thirteen down are relegation candidates. 
Yeah, so I, I, I mean, we're, we're pretty similar. So I have 11, I have Crystal Palace. So we're pretty close on that. And then 12 Wolves as well, uh, 13 Brighton. Um, and then 14 for me is, is Nottingham Forest. And I think for me, I, I'm, I have them a little high and I am worried, but they had a good FA Cup run last year and they showed to me that they can at least compete. So they they beat Arsenal, they beat Leicester. So and I think that was close to Liverpool, right? They lost. Like they lost or one zero, one nil to Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah. So they have. I think just having that little experience and maybe that false confidence can win you some matches that maybe they shouldn't, or can can put you in a draw when they probably shouldn't, just because they have that kind of false confidence. So that's why I have them not uh, in the bottom three. So I have Forest. But I, go ahead. I have Forest coming next as well, and yes, I think they can be encouraged by their performances against Premier League opposition last year in the cups. I don't think you can read too much into it because cups are you know such one-off events, and I don't even know if they themselves will going to be boosted too much by that. What I see of it as yeah. someone who watches as someone who watches the championship you know week in week out, the style of play that they had with three at the back. It's just it's they can their adaptation period to the Premier League will be easier than say what Fulham have to deal with, and you know whereas I think I'm gonna no spoiler here, but I have Fulham going down. I think Fulham have to pretty much completely reinvent how they played compared with last season. Whereas I think for, for Nottingham Forest have a platform from what they did in the Championship that they can build on, and for that reason, I think they have a chance of staying up. But it still wouldn't stun me, as with any promoted team, it would not stun me if wouldn't stun me if they finished rock bottom. Yeah, yeah, and no, and, and I agree. I, I don't think I look at those wins in the FA Cup and think, oh, they can compete with them. But I, I just think, as a team, when you have those wins, that in your head you think you can compete, and I think just that ability to think that you can compete with these teams can maybe get you some points that you probably don't deserve. Um, you know, and I think anyone who plays sports kind of has that feeling sometimes like when you when you play really well against the team that you probably shouldn't have that next time you play them, you know, in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, we almost beat them last time. You know, like we still got a chance where well, you probably don't. So um, I think it might just be enough to keep them out of relegation. Potentially. So the next three, I guess, the the last three not to be relegated. Yeah, I then have. So I have. Oh, go ahead. I have Southampton, Everton and Fulham. Okay, so in 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 no in no uh, particular order, in no real uh, like confidence. <laughs> okay, I have Southampton, Brighton, and my big risk is Bournemouth staying up. Wow, so I think you're so reading the reading the the writing on the walls. You have Everton going down as well, huh? Yeah, I mean, I just don't see Everton were kind of a you know a, a train wreck last season. I've not seen much yeah. from them in terms of what they've added or done. This, you know, in terms of the you know they've lost Richarlison. That's a big loss. Um, and okay, they've you know Tarkowski's a, a, a good signing, but it's and Dwight McNeil, who I think you know is it's has, has different moments in time has been pretty highly rated, but. I mean, we're not talking about star additions to their team. You know, they've kind of been scraping off the types of teams who've been struggling in the past. And 
they just seem like they're, they're in such disorder that it's difficult for me to imagine them staying up. And then I also have leads going down who, you know, had the big turnaround at the back end of last season. And, you know, after Bielsa left and with Jesse Marsh coming in, they did seem to be sort of galvanized by the new approach. But I do think that was just a, you know, a good honeymoon period. They've lost a lot of key players. Yeah. I mean, that's the worry there, right? Yeah. And yes, they've made some interesting (laughs) signings. Some of them might be good. But when you're a team in the bottom half of the Premier League and you've lost genuine star players, the strike rate of replacing them is pretty low. So even if these players are good, they're not going to be Calvin Phillips good. You know, like there's... (laughs) That's the real issue you're probably going to have. Yeah. So I also, so I have Brentford, Leeds, Bournemouth rounding out the the bottom three for me. Um, Brentford, I, I just can't get away from what they were before Christian Eriksen came back. And just some of that, it's just sticking in my head. And I don't, I kind of see them reverting back to that a little bit. So I don't think they're going to be good enough to get out of it. Um, but I guess the the interesting one is is Fulham. So you have Fulham going down again, yeah? Yeah, I mean, look, I just sometimes you have to, you know, it's like one of those things, you know, whatever that expression is, when like someone tells you who they are, believe them. And I think when when, <laughs> when Fulham show you that every season they can get promoted and immediately get relegated and they're just a yo-yo club, until they show me otherwise, I'm just not going to believe that they're not going to do it again. So, you know, I think like they play entertaining football and they'll score goals. I think defensively, they're going to concede an absolute ton. It's a huge mindset to switch from being a team that last season was scoring, you know, three, four, five goals a match and could just blow teams away whenever they really needed to, to suddenly being, you know, having 30, 35% of the ball potentially and on the back foot for 90 minutes. So I just think they're going to really struggle, but they have quality and who knows, you know, like once you get down to the bottom half, as I said, I think everyone from 13 onwards is at risk of going down. It also means from anyone 13 downwards that then if they stay up, it wouldn't shock me. But, you know, I think this is one of the most open relegation battles in the Premier League that we've seen in, in quite a long time. Yeah. So then just going through the odds then for uh, who will be relegated this year, uh, according to Skybet, uh, Bournemouth is three to five. Fulham eleven to ten, uh, Leeds nine to four, Brentford nine to four, and then if Eddie, your bet then might be Everton at four to one. Pretty decent odds. Yeah, yeah. If I wanted to make my uh, in previous years, right, we've done the bold predictions, which we've we've done. I think. W- w- what are Leeds? Sorry, what were Leeds' odds? Nine to four. I'd make Leeds the the. It's not a super bold prediction, but I'd feel more confident. You know, Everton, I think the wheels could completely come off for Leeds this season. Whereas I do think there's a chance Everton will be able to rally around something, maybe make some signings in January. There's always, not that you can be too big to go down, never believe it, but there is, you can be saved by being a big club and being able to, you know, make some deals and and kind of fix some things a little bit more easily. Whereas I could just see the wheels completely coming off for Leeds. All right. So then the other question I have for you then is Golden Boot. 
Uh, it's such a difficult season, right? Because you've got the World Cup to account for. And so you're going to have players who either get rested before or after. Maybe the squad rotation is going to be much a much bigger thing. I'll take Harry Kane. Just the proven, you know, he's barring serious injury. You know exactly what he's going to deliver. I know Son outscored him last season. But I think uh, I'll go with Kane. Yeah, so Harry Kane for most betting sites is about... Five to one. So not too bad. Most right now have Howland at eleven to four. I would be I would be I would warn people about the Holland and it would literally just be because history would tell you he misses games through injuries anyway, and then you throw in City squad rotation. A little bit harder for them to rotate with him, obviously, than some other players, but I just think he might play seventy five percent of the season. And if he does that, trying to keep up with the more prolific goal scorers, whether that's Salah or Kane or Son, is a tough ask. So even Gabriel Jesus, you know, I think I think it could be yep. difficult for him. So I, I would be 11 to 4 on Holland to me is not great value. Yeah, so, and Gabriel Jesus is about 12, 11 to 1, 12 to 1. You can find the places. Uh, interesting one, Son, who, who won last year, right, is... Currently sitting at fourteen to one, so. Oh no, Salah won last year, didn't he? I thought Son won. I thought on the last day of the season, didn't Son need one more goal, or did he get it? I can't remember now. That that so many the the bigger storylines regarding the title were. But I thought Salah in the end won the goal. Well, I guess we're both right. They finished even on twenty three goals. <laughs> yeah, but I think Salah won it. If you see what I mean, because there's there's sort of tiebreakers, whatever it is they use. Um, in, okay. I think it's goals per minute played, something like that, that they end up using as the determining factor. Well, it says here that the golden boot was shared. Okay, maybe then. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, I think Son, look, Son is a kind of consistently overlooked, underrated player. So, yeah. you know, wouldn't And most Salah is 9-2, to two, so a big discrepancy there. But I guess the other thing, too, is you know, if Harry Kane is healthy, then he's going to take some away from Son. You would think so, yeah. Yeah. And I guess a, a big outsider would be Raheem Sterling. And not to win, but I think maybe as an each way, which would be top four at 33 to one in places. So Ooh, I don't <laughs> love that. I think that's not great. Value. No, you don't think so? No. I mean, I already again. I'm like, I think he'll play most of the time, but he's going to suffer from a little bit of squad rotation. Probably, he won't take penalties. And I think once you start going golden boot contenders, and you're not a penalty taker, that is, yeah, that is tough. You're losing five, six goals to you, like giving them a head start. I think it would be there. I like, yeah, I think Saka will score more goals than Sterling does this season, for example. Wow. I don't even see Saka on the list. He shouldn't be. I'm not, I'm not saying he should. I'm not saying bet on Saka to be golden. I just think he'll score more goals than Sterling will. I think I like Mo Salah. I think the consistency is there. Um, and he's the, yeah. But he's about the same as Harry Kane. So anything else? No, I think that. Any other predictions you have? No, we'll save. I'll save some of my bolder predictions once the season gets off. I won't. I won't muddy the the discussion about the predictions with uh, wild, outrageous predictions. 
Okay. <laughs> well, I have a, uh, if, if that's all for the Premier League, Eddie, I have a uh, lighter story that I think might entertain you, being that you are a fan of the Titanic and like to go down Titanic rabbit holes. Yeah, just to clarify, I'm a fan of not the movie, not the 1997 movie. I'm a fan. You're a fan of the disaster that ruined many, many exactly. lives. <laughs> <laughs> so have you heard the story about Jenny? I might need a few more details. So, so Jenny was the ship cat. Then no. Okay. I hate cats, so. <laughs> great, great start to the story then. So when they were building the ship in Belfast, uh, this cat, Jenny, started to get into the boat. And I guess tradition is when they're building boats back then that if a cat started to live in there, they'd let it live in there because it at least would kill the mice and the rats. So Jenny became known as the Titanic ship cat. And when she first boarded the ship, she was pregnant and gave birth to a litter of kittens shortly before the ship uh, was going to be sent for the inaugural sale. And when the one of the ship makers, Joseph Mulholland, was supposed to be on the, the ship as well for its inaugural sale, and he noticed that the several days before the Titanic, that Jenny was taking her kittens off of the boat one by one and leaving them on dry land. And it freaked out this shipmaker Joseph Mulholland so much that he decided not to board the ship because he was so spooked as to why Jenny was removing her kittens off of the ship. So he did not get on, but he left Jenny on the boat and Jenny died <laughs> as the Titanic sunk. <laughs> it's like the it's like the plot line of Final Destination 1. <laughs> Pretty much it's very close. <laughs> this could be Final Destination 20 at this yeah. point. Would that have been a better story, Eddie, to see Jenny floating on a piece of, of, of a door versus what the Titanic ultimately ended up being? <laughs> no. No, it wouldn't have been. Like, look, I, you know, Titanic is a movie. It's not bad. I just don't, you know, I don't, it is what it is for me. I don't, uh, I don't love it. I'm not going to go and rewatch it. It's not a YouTube rabbit hole that I, when I like watching movie clips, I'm never going to watch a movie clip from Titanic. But yeah, I do love uh, shipwreck and airplane disasters related stuff. So Titanic itself, I can get really into, but the movie I will probably never see again in my life. What a dark, dark soul you are, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> Look, sometimes, but sometimes it's a positive, right? Like not everyone dies. You hear some pretty miraculous stories of people. I've actually, I, there's a guy who I want to get on the podcast or like I was just today watching this thing about his he his ship. Uh, he was he was sailing and he slipped off a solo. He was sailing a solo yacht and he slipped off the coast of Panama. He was fishing, slipped off the back of it, and then had to swim seventeen kilometers to shore and survived. And uh, he's he's someone I'm trying to get on because it's a pretty crazy story, uh, not sports related though. So that's our. The only issue, I guess, but still a pretty incredible story. But stuff like that, it's not that I wanted, I didn't watch it being like, God, I hope he dies because the story is more interesting then. Like, I'm also happy to watch the ones where they do live. But the actual, oh, okay. the disaster itself is interesting to me. 
there's a lot of the loves a good disaster. (laughs) There's a lot of like, what would I have done in that situation? And I'm very realistic. 99% of the time, the answer is I would have died. So I'm not trying to be like, oh, I would have been able to live or that somehow watching these is helping me to prepare for a future disaster that I might be in. Not believing that either, but there, you know, when you watch a good documentary or something about it, it is interesting to think of like, okay, what would, what do I think in that moment, given that I had the same information that they all had, what do I think I would have done or how might I have done things differently? I have no doubt that you think you also could have made that swim. The 17 kilometer swim? Um, yeah, I think I probably could have done it. But as it turned out, he was, <laughs> he was, he was, he was, he was, uh, the, the tide was moving in the right direction. So that's why, because he felt like he had no chance. Look, we can we can discuss this when I think we'll get him on, and we can discuss that when he comes on. But I, um, I, yeah, I think I think I probably could have. The mental challenge is is the thing there, not the physical one. Almost, it's the like, how can you handle the thought that you're, you know, you're in a very bad spot? That bit I can't answer. Do sharks come into your mind? I don't want to ruin the story. If we're going to get him on, okay, okay, we'll okay. have him on, and he'll get the full story. Okay. Uh, do you want me to go on blind then? Do you want me to not even research it and just have him tell the story? And we can, yeah, just, okay. We, we can That's post fine. my face. <laughs> yeah, because I'll I know the full story, so I can come in with some more educated questions, and you can be the the instant reaction to to okay. what's the the kind of voice of the listener. <gasps> Did you survive? <laughs> All right, I guess with that, we'll call it a day. Yeah. Talk to you later. Cheerio.